0: Good morning, Good morning. Good morning, we are in Romans 4 this morning and I would invite you to open your Bibles to that section of God's Word. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to just grab one of those blue Bibles located underneath the seats around you, turn it to page 941, that'll bring you to the Romans 4. I was thinking that, just in light of this text and thinking about some things, without a good or at least a general understanding of the Bible, of the whole Bible, of the Old Testament and the New Testament, of God's complete story. I think that there are some things about Christianity that could definitely seem strange or at least confusing on the surface if you didn't have a, a general understanding of the whole Bible. And unfortunately, many Christians have a very limited knowledge of the Scriptures. They just don't spend a lot of time in them. Or they absolutely stay out of the Old Testament uh, they just spend time in the new, but I just you need to know that the the story of God, God's story, is is two, is two parts in a sense. It's Old Testament and New Testament. We need to know them both; otherwise, we will be confused about some things. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. We we teach our children. Maybe you know this song, "Father Abraham." Do you know that song? Let me. I'm going to sing it, and if you know it. Well, not really sing it, but I'm going to kind of sing it, but you're going to help me because I'm not a singer. But I just want you to listen to this very deep and profound theological song that we we teach our children, and they sing over and over again. Okay? It goes like this. Father Abraham has many sons. Many sons has Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, left arm, wait, all right, as many sons, many sons, has Father Abraham, I am one of them, and so are you, so let's just praise the Lord, right arm, stopping, we're stopping, we're stopping. You know it? If you don't know it, you cannot forget it now, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Sorry. And and that is the cycle that repeats over and over again. And of course, the whole left arm, right arm, left leg, that's probably to get the wiggles out of the kids. It has nothing to do with any kind of theology or the Bible, but it's just a fun song, right, that the kids sing. But listen, if you don't have an understanding of the Old Testament, we teach the kids this song, but listen, just step back for a second. Maybe you've never thought of it, but I'm going to step back and pretend I know nothing of God's Word and, and I don't know anything about Christianity, What exactly are you singing? Who is this Abraham? And how does he have so many children? And what's going to happen when my dad finds out? That Abraham is my father. It's weird. It's weird. Think about it. And it's, it's not even, if, if you understand, I'm not going to get into it now, but it's not even appropriate, really, for everybody to be singing that, for all these children to be singing that, because they are not children of Abraham unless they have the faith of Abraham. Yeah, but we teach our kids, and we sing it, and most of us have no idea what that means. Well, listen, in Romans 4, Paul introduces us to this man, Abraham. And primarily, when we go through the whole chapter, he's going to be talking about, and you'll see it, he's going to be talking about the faith of Abraham. And he's going to make some comments and some statements, and by the time we're done, if you stick with us, then you'll understand uh, what that song means, you'll understand the implications of it, you'll understand much more than maybe you understood before about Abraham, why he's so significant, and why we write songs about him. So what we're going to do is beginning in Romans, I'm going to actually begin in Romans chapter 3, verse 27. Just that's the section that we covered last week, and if you weren't here, I I would encourage you to go online and listen to it, download it. But we covered that section last week. That section, Romans 3, 27 through 31, actually introduces us to Romans 4. It kind of ties right in. In fact, you're going to notice a couple of things. Paul will speak about boasting, Paul will speak about circumcision. Watch for those particular subjects to come back up in chapter 4, but specifically now in connection with this man Abraham. Okay, So he's going to expand upon his statements that he made in Romans 3.27-31 through 31, when he was talking about the fact that we are justified by faith alone. That's what we talked about last week. And now he's going to expand upon that through Abraham. So... I'm going to read the entire, starting in 327, I'm going to read all the way to the end of chapter 4. I'm going to do that because I want you to hear the entire context. I might do that every time that we go, I don't know, but I might do that every time that we are coming back to Romans 4 because I don't want you to, I don't want you to miss the context here. And this will be the best part of the sermon, really, because I'm going to be strictly reading God's Word to you. So you ready? Romans 327. Apostle Paul writes this, Then what becomes of our boasting? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? And he's going to quote Genesis 15, 6. And you need to remember that, write it down, because he's going to come back to this passage again and again through chapter 4. This particular passage, Genesis 15, 6. And then he quotes it. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Verse 14. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise do not exist. In hope he believed against hope, that's Abraham, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, quoting again Scripture, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No, unbelief made him waver concerning the promise no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was, quote, counted to him as righteousness. There's that passage again, 23. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in Him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That's a lot, guys. Let me encourage you just to be faithful over the next three or four weeks that it will take for us, I believe, to get through this section here of, of Romans, specifically Romans chapter 4. It's probably one of the greatest things you can do is just develop a habit of regular, every Sunday, church attendance. Be here, be with the people of God, loving on the people of God, and being exposed to God's Word. Really, I'll tell you, it's one of the best things that you can do for yourself and for your family. So I'm, let me encourage you in that way. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, we're, most of today is just going to be kind of introduction, We'll start to jump into Romans 4, we'll look at the first couple of verses, but I've broken it up in one section, it'll be 1 through 8, just like many commentators do, it'll be 1 through 8, it'll be that first section that we we get after, and then we'll break it up and we'll just kind of keep adding to this outline that you'll see in a moment, adding points to it as we move through chapter 4. So I want to give you some background information because it's important. It's difficult, nearly impossible, I would say, to rightly understand the Word of God unless you understand what was going on from a historical context. What was going on when this passage was written, when this author wrote these words? What caused him to write these words? What was was happening, and how does that play into what Paul or any biblical author wrote? So we're going to talk about that. And one question you would want to consider before... Before kind of we break through this section here is why, why did Paul choose to bring up Abraham at this point in Romans why it's it 's a point where he has just started to really get into the details, the glorious details of the gospel i mean we've had to we 've had to endure Romans one through most of three. You're sinners, you're wretched, you're deserving of God's wrath. And then finally, good news breaks forth, right? And we begin to talk about the gospel, that he has saved us by his grace, that we are justified by faith, and now, come on, Paul, keep giving it to us, Abraham. Why why break and talk about Abraham? Abraham. Or to put it another way, why would Abraham bring or why would Paul bring Abraham into a discussion or explanation of the gospel? Okay? What's the what's the connection? Well there are several, several suggestions that are put forth by Bible commentators. And I'm only going to give you a few of them that I think are valid or more valid than the others. Let's just put it that way. One possibility, and we've talked about this before, one possibility for Paul bringing Abraham up now in a discussion about the gospel, or focusing in on Abraham, which he does, by the way, by quoting, listen, he does this by, he doesn't just bring up Abraham. He brings up Abraham, and he quotes and begins to exposit or explain a verse in the first book of the Old Testament, okay, in Genesis. And it is a verse that concerns Abraham and his faith, But more specifically, it is a verse that proves that it was through faith that Abraham was made right with God, Genesis 15, 6. And by Paul doing that, through Abraham, Paul is then able to give a very relevant and important illustration to his readers of justification by faith which happens to be a key component of the gospel. A key component of the gospel as we've been looking at when we got to Romans 3.21 and we were looking through to 3.26 and all the way to 31. But Paul is also able, by doing this, by going back to Abraham, bringing up Abraham, going back to Genesis, he's able to prove that the doctrine or the teaching of justification by faith A doctrine that he began talking about, as I've said in Romans 3, is not, listen, it is not a new doctrine. It is not a new teaching that Paul just made up or invented. In other words, this idea that sinners are made right with God through faith alone and only faith is God's idea from the very beginning. It is not Paul's crazy idea. He didn't just say, hey, I don't like the whole justification by works thing, so I'm going to give up on that. I got a new idea. No. He's taking us back and showing us from the Old Testament Scriptures, from God's holy word, that this is God's idea. It always has been. And so, this would be especially important then for the Jewish people who are part of the readers of Romans, for them to see and understand that this is not just Paul's idea, but this is God's idea, proven by the fact that it comes from the Holy Scriptures that they revere, that they hold up the Old Testament. And that's important so that they would not then reject what Paul was saying, the gospel that he was preaching, but rather that they would embrace it and believe it to be absolutely true as something that was God's truth. And so what Paul does then is he simply he goes back to this Old Testament teaching and then he expands upon it, justification by faith, by connecting it to the historical person at that point of Jesus Christ, by explaining that God justifies or declares righteous or pronounces righteous or gives a righteous status to any person who has faith faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 3, 26. Now, that is one possibility, and it could be multiple possibilities, okay? But that's one. Certainly, it establishes the fact that this is not Paul's crazy idea, but that it is rooted in God's Word that they accepted and that the Jews embraced. Another possibility for Paul bringing up Abraham at this point is that he did it in order to address a very serious misunderstanding that the Jews had about Abraham, a very dangerous misunderstanding. And it was a misunderstanding that would have caused them to question, seriously question the gospel, the good news that Paul was preaching. Now, before we talk about what that was, before I tell you what that misunderstanding was, it's also important for you to know, if you don't already know, that Abraham is not just one more character uh, that we find in the Bible, okay? He's just not another character among many, but rather to the Jew, okay, and to the Christian if... As well, if they understand rightly who Abraham is and his important place in God's story, Abraham is one of the most significant figures in the Bible. Did you know that? One of the most significant figures in the Bible. Not the most. Christ is the most, certainly. But he is one of the most significant. By the way, the New Testament mentions Abraham not only frequently, but also more the New Testament now but more than any other Old Testament figure outside of Moses. And Moses is referred to often because he's attached with the law. But Abraham is, besides any other Old Testament figure outside of Moses, Abraham is mentioned in the New Testament. So see, here's the problem, right? If you and I don't understand Abraham, and you and I cannot understand Abraham without going back to the Old Testament, then we are going to have some issues or problems or difficulties Understanding what's going on in the New Testament when he continually keeps coming up and he keeps being used in these examples and talked about, we won't get it. So Abraham is is very important. And as I said to the Jewish people, especially Abraham was very, a very important person and still is, beloved among religious Jews. He still is. He is highly, highly revered by them, held in honor. And in part, if you don't know this, it's because this ancient man, Abraham, who lived some 2,000 years before the time of Christ, it would be 4,000 years set apart from us now, this ancient man, Abraham, was the man who was chosen by God to become the father of their nation, there being the Jews, the Jewish nation. And it is to Abraham that God made special And significant promises, promises that also concerned Abraham's descendants, Abraham's descendants, promises that we refer to as the Abrahamic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. So if that terminology is new to you, you need to to be thinking about that because it's important terminology, Abrahamic covenant. That covenant begins, we see the beginning of it in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. So you can write that down, look there. It starts there, and God continues to expand that covenant. And Abraham put his faith, his trust in God, who made these promises to him. And Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do and would do all that he had promised to Abraham. So... When Paul brings Abraham up in Romans chapter 4, you need to know that certainly would have captured the attention of his Jewish readers. They wouldn't have been like, Abraham, what's this all about? No, they would have stopped, paused. Okay, he's talking about our patriarch. He's talking about our forefather. This is very serious. And Paul, himself being a Jew, knew how important this man Abraham was to the people, to the Jewish people, and how they looked up to him. And so if we're wise, beloved, if we're wise, we also, even though we're not Jews, we need to pay close attention to what Paul says about this Abraham, because what you're going to find out is that his significance is not just for the Jewish people. His significance is also for us as Christians. And so we're going to learn that as we make our way through the, through the text. Now, what serious misunderstanding did many Jews have concerning Abraham that Paul could have been addressing in Romans 4 by bringing up Abraham in the way that he did? What is it? Well, here it is. It is the idea among the Jews that Abraham was right with God, right with God, justified, not, listen, not just because of his faith. Not just because of his faith, but rather because of his righteous life. That was the concept. That was the thinking. That was the idea. Now, how did they come up with that idea? Was it from the Scriptures? It was not, beloved. It was not from the Scriptures that they came up with this idea. Let me just say it's dangerous. When we move away from the Scriptures and begin to embrace the words of man, it can be a very dangerous Situation. And there were Jewish writings that were circulating at this time. One of them, for instance, from the book of Jubilees, it was written about 100 BC. So this is about 100 years prior to the coming of Christ, okay? Listen to what it says Abraham was perfect. So this is 2,000 years now removed. Abraham's past, okay? 2,000 years outside of Abraham. Here's what they're saying about Abraham now, some of the Jews. Abraham was perfect in all of his deeds with the Lord and well-pleasing in righteousness all the days of his life. I'm going to try this with you guys, okay? Ken. Ken. We're going to write this about you after you pass. Ken was perfect in all his deeds with the Lord and well-pleasing in righteousness all the days of his life. Doesn't that sound great? Wouldn't you love that for someone to say something like that about you? Would that be true? (laughs) I'm not picking on Ken because I could look to any of you. I would put my own name in there. That does not work. That could not be true. In another place... Another writing, it says this. Listen, this is crazy, but this is what they said. Abraham did not sin against thee. I mean, I don't know what Bible they're reading, beloved. You you should read the book of Genesis. I'm going to encourage you to at the end here. You should read the story of Abraham. I mean, Abraham, he was a man of faith. But as far as perfect obedience goes, ah, ah. I mean, maybe some of you know, he, he lied a few times. We know that. I'm going to let you read the story, okay? And that's recorded in the Scriptures. But here they say, he never sinned against God. And from another source, no one has been found like him in glory. <laughs> okay. You know what this reminds me of? Is funeral eulogies. That's what it reminds me of. Have, have you been to some funerals and... And you actually know the person. <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about? And they get up and, man, this guy's a saint. I mean, he came straight out of heaven. He's an angel sent by God. Never did anything wrong. You're just sitting there going, okay. Well, they're, they're have, you know, and, and part of a eulogy is to kind of, to point out the positive things in a person's life. But sometimes it becomes so much that it, it's overboard right you know what i'm talking about well now it's 2000 years removed this is the patriarch of israel they've gone way overboard they are lifting him up they are making him something that no man is and certainly he was not perfect in all of his ways righteous in all of his days in all of his deeds never sinning against god listen it gets worse it was even argued by some Jews and rabbis. You know what a rabbi is? He, these are the, the pastors, if you will, in a sense, of for the Jews. So they were the teachers who were supposed to go to the, the Word, the Old Testament, the Scriptures, and supposed to expand upon it and expound upon it and, and, and explain it and, and guide the people. So the Jews, the rabbis, it was argued by them that Abraham, listen, Abraham obeyed God's law perfectly before it was even given, making him absolutely righteous and therefore fully acceptable to God. Now, how exactly did Abraham obey God's law that was not yet given, since it was given one, or hundreds, not 100, but hundreds of years later to Moses, long after Abraham had died? Do you understand? If you don't know the chronology, Abraham's gone now from history, The law has not yet been given. It will come hundreds of years later through the prophet Moses. Well, one person, one writer, John MacArthur, he comments concerning this. This is how they suggest that Abraham kept the law perfectly. It's fascinating what men can create in their own minds when they get creative. This is what he says. They, referring to the rabbis, said Abraham kept the law by anticipation and intuition. He expected the law to be of a certain nature. He anticipated what it would be, and intuitively, just he just knew, kept the law, and therefore, God made an oath to him, the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 12, that his seed would be blessed. It was a reward for his anticipatory and intuitive observation of a law not yet given. Did you hear that? Did you, do you get what they're saying? It's crazy talk. That's what it is. It's crazy talk, but because a rabbi said it, hey, pastors, they do some crazy talk sometimes. And I'm, I'm just using that word pastors in a very general sense. People who claim to be Christians and stuff, but they all take this title. And they talk crazy. And because they have that title pastor, people go, Yeah, I'm good with that. Doesn't matter how crazy it is, they just accept it. Well, that's wrong. And beloved, it was no different back then. The rabbis would speak this nonsense and the people would buy it. And I, I just want to tell you something. Think about it. Well, after all, that is our forefather. We are physical descendants of this man so there's a in a sense it kind of boosts my own image to think that i came from this guy that can do this kind of thing who can intuitively in in anticipation keep the law before it's even delivered well i come from his stock do you see do you see why it would be easy to get somebody to buy into this nonsense Uh, David Forsythe, the teaching pastor of Full Hill Bible Church, this is his comment concerning this whole issue. He says, according to prevailing Jewish thinking, the great patriarch Abraham had earned his way into God's good pleasure. It was thought that he had been chosen to be the ancestor of the race because he was considered so righteous in the sight of God. Now, if a Jew bought into this kind of thinking concerning their patriarch Abraham, if they did, and many of them did, then they would certainly, listen, here it comes, context to Romans 4, then they certainly, or even Romans 3, they would certainly then have every reason to take exception with Paul's teaching that people are justified by faith alone and not by anything else. They would take exception with that because they would simply say, wait a minute, what about Abraham? What about our forefather? Wasn't he justified before God by his works? Wasn't he found to be righteous before God? And God looked upon him and said, wow, look at you, come here and gave him his promises, I'm going to bless you because you're such a blessing to me. (laughs) Do you see? This is the problem. This is the issue, I think. I think this is the main issue. Paul knows it. Paul knows what they think about Abraham. So not only by going to Abraham does he take us and root us back to the Old Testament, which would have been very important for the Jews who were listening to this message, but he attacks head-on their greatest example of justification by works and says, this man was not justified by works. You are wrong. He was actually justified by faith. So that brings us to the outline. I know. And we're just going to, like I say, look at a few verses of Romans 4, and we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to pick up right where we left off next week, okay? So come back next week, and then we'll continue. We'll finish, hopefully, sections one through, or the first section one through eight, and then we'll step into the next section, beginning in verse nine, because each section has some rich, deep truth concerning this man Abraham, and specifically his faith. By the way, I didn't mention this, but when you go back and you read, I hope you do this, read through Romans four, look to see the words that are repeated over and over again. What you'll find, what you'll find, look for them, is Abraham, a reference to Abraham. So we know the chapters about Abraham. Uh, Either it'll say his name, it'll refer to him, he. You'll also find the word faith repeated over and over again. And you'll also find the word, if you're using the ESV, you'll find the word counted. Counted. Very important, through the whole thing all the way to the end. We're going to talk about that, but when you see words that are repeated over and over again, you need to draw your attention to that, realize there's something going on here, something that's being communicated, something important I need to pay attention. Anyway, All right, so here's the the outline. We're going to examine and draw out, as we look at Romans 4, several truths, and we're just starting with one, from the faith of Abraham, because that's what Romans chapter 4 is primarily focused on, the faith of Abraham, so that we might understand the role and the nature of faith as it relates to our salvation. What role does faith play in our salvation? And what is the nature of faith? What's it like? What's it look like? What's it sound? Not sound like, but what is it? How do I explain it? What is this faith that justifies me before God, that saves my soul? Okay? So, the first truth is it was not, it's simple, guys. It was not by works, but rather by faith that Abraham was justified. That's the first concept, the first idea. And we're going to see that in all of its glory as we look at verses 1 through 8. So let's look at, let's start with verses 1 and 2. Okay? Romans 4, 1 through 2. Look back at the text. Paul writes, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Now, remember that Paul's question here in verse 1 follows, this is context now, it didn't come out of nowhere, it follows the section in Romans chapter 3 where Paul said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, verse 23. And then he says, in another just following that, and God is the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus verse 26. And following that is Paul's question and answer, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded, verse 27. And then following that, for we hold, we maintain that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Following all of that, now comes Romans chapter 4, verse 1. Context. Context. If we don't know the context, we can't really understand what's being communicated. And there Paul says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham? Now, you might have, if you're not using the ESV, you might have a different translation, maybe NIV, New King James, New American Standard. The ESV translation, I think, is a little hard to understand here because of their choice of the word gained, of that word gained in their translation of the Greek. It is an acceptable translation, but I think it, it's harder to make sense of what Paul's trying to communicate. Let me show you what I mean. The New American Standard Bible, it translates that same passage this way. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, has found. Has found. I think found, I'm going to show you in a second, I think found's a better word or easier to understand than the word gained. Romans 4, chapter 1, in the NIV, New International Version, it translates it this way. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered? Discovered. And then... I want you to notice this. This is a totally a beside the point. I'm going to show you something. In this matter. In this matter is not there in the original language. It's not there in the Greek. Okay, and this is why translations, they're not all equal. It's important that you're using it, that you know, understand things about translations and that you're not just wholesale just saying, hey, whatever translation, they're all the same, they're all good. No, they're not. They're not. I like the NIV, but you have to understand that the NIV tries harder to communicate the Greek in a way that you'll understand it, so sometimes they give you their interpretation of what's being communicated, and that's exactly what they're doing here. In this Discovered, discovered what? In this matter. What matter? The matter of justification by faith, the whole issue that Paul's been talking about. So they add these words in this matter, but it's not there. Paul just says, hey, what has Abraham found? What has he found? But in the context, I think the NIV is correct, but that is not a faithful translation of the original Greek language. Just something for you to consider. So not all translations are the same. And the NIV does this more often than the ESV or other translations. They will add words that were not there because they believe that's what's being communicated. But that's their interpretation. That's not a translation, okay? So that was just a side note. So the way I understand verse 1, when I look at all of this, and especially based on the context of Romans, is Paul, listen, Paul wants his readers to consider what can be learned from the biblical record of Abraham's experience. Okay? And to think about what Abraham has found to be the case, found to be the case concerning the matter of justification. To consider exactly how he, Abraham was made right with God or acceptable to God. That's what Paul that's all Paul's doing here. He's bringing Abraham in and he's saying, "Okay, I've been talking to you about justification by faith. I know how important Abraham is to you. I know what you think about him. Let's talk about him. He is the patriarch of our our nation. What has he found out concerning this matter of justification by faith? How is it that Abraham was justified before God? What was Abraham's experience with God in this matter? That's That's what he's saying. That's what I believe he's saying. Then, Romans 4.2, Romans 4.2, look back at your text. For if Abraham, for if Abraham was justified by works, if that's the case, he has something to boast about, comma, but not before God. So now in verse 2, he's explaining basically why he just asked about Abraham's experience in this matter. He's just telling you, this is why I'm asking this question. And one commentator puts the flow of thought. It's important for you to get it, especially at the beginning. We've got to understand what Paul's doing. Here's kind of the flow of thought from verse one to verse two and in the context. He's just simply saying this: What shall we say? What shall we say about Abraham? For if we say he was justified by works, he has reason to boast. And if that's the case, my claim in chapter 3, verse 27 through 28, Paul wouldn't say that because they didn't have chapters and stuff. He's just, he just saying this is the idea. My claim there that all boasting is excluded would certainly then be called into question. That's the flow of thought, Romans 4.1, 4.2. Remember I said that most Jews likely believe that Abraham was justified by works, that God accepted him based on his good works. Beloved, The same ridiculous thing is believed by many today. So it's not just some ancient crazy idea. This is carried over. People are still walking around. There's People committed to this idea, believing that God is going to accept them into his heaven based on what they have done, based on their righteousness, their good deeds, Their love, blah, blah, blah. So that same idea that is wrong was was alive and well in the first century and and Abraham was the model of this, so they thought. And so Paul says, if it is the case then, listen, if it is the case that Abraham was justified by works, let let me just for the sake of argument say that's the case. Even though Paul knows very well no man is justified by works before God. He knows that. But let's just say that's the case. And by the way, he'll prove to his readers that that's not the case. He's going to do that. But if it is the case, then logically, Paul says, then he would have something to boast about. He would. Because it would be his good works, his supposed righteousness that made him right with God. But then Paul says, listen, This idea is impossible. You know, he says that, but not before God. Not before God. One writer says this, commenting on this passage. I kind of like this. He, He says, you know, just looking at that, but not before God, it seems to me that the Apostle Paul was so moved at this point, so stirred in his spirit by the very suggestion that one could be justified by works, that he almost forgot words and says, but not before God. He seems to say, I have already shown you abundantly that no flesh can boast in his presence. All have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. This thing is unthinkable. It's possible, I think, I think that's possible, kind of what's going on. Many, many commentators understand Paul to be saying here simply when he says, but not before God, that he means from God's viewpoint. When that is considered, when God's viewpoint is considered, or from his viewpoint, Abraham simply has no right to boast at all. That all boasting in this context, as it relates to justification, it's impossible. It must be ruled out. It's impossible. So since that is the case, it is inconceivable that he or anyone, for that matter, could actually be justified by works, because if they were, they would actually be able to boast before God, and that's a ridiculous concept, a ridiculous idea. Sinners standing before a holy God and boasting in their own salvation. And then to further support what he is saying, Paul goes on now to quote Genesis 15, 6. Listen, he says, I have proof. I have proof that Abraham was not justified by works. I have the kind of proof that is undeniable, proof that you have to acknowledge because I'm going to take you back to what the Scriptures say. What do the Scripture say? Romans chapter 4, verse 3, that's what he says. For what does the Scripture say? What does it speak to us? What is it telling us? Quote, Genesis 15, 6, he goes back. Abraham believed God. He believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Notice what the Scripture does not say. Sometimes this is helpful. What does it not say? It does not say that Abraham did good works and therefore was justified or counted righteous because that's what he's getting at here. It's all about justification. It does not say he did good works and therefore God credited him or counted to him righteousness or that God, Abraham acted perfectly in all of his deeds and therefore was justified or, was, or that action or those acts were counted to him as righteousness. Does it say that? It does not say that. No, it says this, and it's very important. Abraham believed. That's it, beloved. He had faith, and that faith was counted to him as righteousness. That is the testimony of God's word. Now, what does that all mean? What does that all mean? And what else does Paul say about this as we move to verses 4 and 5? And then he brings up this quote from David. What does that all mean? How does he get at this? Well, you're going to have to come back next week. We're doing just kind of stopping right in the middle like, you know, those TV shows do in suspense. You got to come back. Beloved, you have to come back. This is so important. Genesis 15 says, you got to understand that word counted, Okay? Maybe it's credited. Maybe it's reckoned. I don't know what your translation is. In the ESV, it's counted. I want to talk to you about that word. I want to talk to you about what he means, counted to him as righteousness. It's important. Paul is helping us understand what justification by faith means, what the nature of this faith is, what the role of faith is in our salvation. And that word counted, you'll see it pops up 11 times. 11 times in Romans chapter 4, either counted or counts. It's fascinating. All the way to the end, Paul keeps going back to this, counted as righteousness. Faith counted to him as righteousness. I'm also going to encourage you to read the book of Galatians. This is a homework assignment. No, don't take it that way, because then none of you are going to do it. It's a... It's a I don't even know what to call it. It's something very wonderful and spectacular. And when you do it, you'll be blessed. Galatians, I want you, it's a very short book. This passage here in Genesis is also used in Galatians. And Paul is dealing with the very same issues, some of them, very same issues that he's dealing with in Romans 4. He deals with them in the book of Galatians. I want you to find it in there, but I want you to read through the, it's short. It's short, is it five chapters? Six, six chapters. Is it five? Galatians, it's six. You fail. Thomas, you failed. You were supposed to be there for me, and you failed me. Thank you whoever told me and confirmed it was six. Anyway, it's six, and uh, it's short. Read that. Also, I would encourage you to read Genesis 12, Genesis 12 through 22, at least, 12 through 22. Why? Because that'll give you the life of Abraham, okay? It'll talk about God calling him. It'll talk about the covenant. Here's what I want you to do. Don't try to figure everything out, because then you'll stop, and you'll go, I don't know what... Just read it. Read it, read Galatians. There's some very stuff in there that might seem confusing. Just read it and then come back. By the way, one more. This is a lot of great stuff you're giving us, Pastor Jeremy. Galatians, six chapters, Genesis 12 through 22. And if you get that all done, read Hebrews 11. Read Hebrews 11 because that's the hall of faith. God is going to talk about the great men and women of faith throughout time. And he's going to talk about Abraham. I want you to see that. And then I want you to come back and be ready as we begin to dig into this in Romans chapter 4, Abraham, the man of faith, the faith of Abraham, okay? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We, didn't, uh, we read it today. We read it, Father, and that's a good thing, but we didn't get a, a, lot, a good opportunity to really expand upon it, Father, and, but we, uh, we, boy, we're looking forward to it. And we did some background work today, Father, which is very important so that when people come to the text, they can make sense of this. Uh, it's not just pulled out of thin air, but there's something going on that's causing these things. It's, it's causing Paul to write these particular things, choosing his arguments, referring to Abraham, taking us back to Genesis 15, Father. These are, these are important things for us to understand, so I, I trust we will do that. Father, I also pray that people would take, uh, take my suggestion... My recommendation, they would dive into your word and go to those spots I talked about and read them. We need to know these things, Father. Uh, you have given them to us for us to know because they're important, not for them to sit on a shelf or to be closed and, in a book and to never come before our eyes or into our minds and, more importantly, into our hearts. What does it mean that we are, we are children of Abraham? What does that mean? Father, I pray and trust that you will help us to understand exactly what that does mean and what it does not mean as we move through Romans chapter 4 and, and all that Paul, the Apostle Paul, your messenger, has, has revealed to us there. Father, I, I also just pray. Uh, there are certainly people here that still, we talk about it all the time, Lord. You know, you know the hearts of, of men and women. They actually believe, and, and it's it's not really crazy, it's just because they're in good company, because there's a lot of people who believe this as well. But it's bad belief. They believe, Father, that they are justified before you, that they, they will be allowed into heaven because of what something they have done, or things they have done, or, or the accumulation of good works over a period of time, or, or the fact that they were baptized, or that they, they come to church, or that their Bible's really big, or I don't know, Father, all these ridiculous ideas that somehow these will justify them before you, but your word is so clear. It is so clear. And Paul is trying, with all that he has, to communicate the clarity of your word, that Sinners that men and women are only justified, declared right before you, through faith. Through faith. And we know now, faith in Jesus Christ, the one who has redeemed us, the one who gave his life to make us right with you, Father. It is faith in him, period, End of story. And so, Father, if there are those here that are still trusting in themselves or in their church service or in anything that they have done, they have not put their faith or have not completely trusted in Christ, Lord, I pray that either today or even now or as we move through this chapter, that they would be convicted, that they would see clearly that huge mistake that for one to believe that they are justified by works puts them outside of heaven. Put puts them outside, for no one will boast before you, God. Do your work and save people, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.